that enchanting music from The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring. Music by Howard Shore, Academy Award-winning music by Howard Shore. We heard many meetings and concerning hobbits. I am Tani Tenuviel, the resident KUCI Middle Earth Elf. If you're just tuning in for the very first time, welcome. Magavanin and Suilade. Greetings. <clears throat> and I hope that you are um, as much of a fan of Middle Earth as I am. If you are not, perhaps you are about to become. <laughs> and you may be wondering, what in the world is this show about? Well, this is the show where we ask, I ask, if a Middle Earth elf lived today in Orange County, California. What might her life look like? How would she celebrate and support the arts, music, her community, and the preservation of Earth, its beauty, resources, and creatures? Some people ask, what would Jesus do? Well, I like to ask, what would Arwen do? And Arwen was, in case you are not familiar, an elf princess, the daughter of Elrond, a prince among elves and the lord of Rivendell, a magical place of healing, lore, and wisdom, uh, perhaps not unlike the community here at UC Irvine. Arwen was, in my opinion, also a beloved daughter of the universe, as are all the women of this fair celestial home called Earth or an elvish Arda. I believe Arwen understood the principle of noblesse oblige, with great privilege comes responsibility. She was an archetypal figure. She embodied a true princess of the light through her courage, wisdom, beauty, her sense of humor, and service to others. In Tolkien and the Lord of the Rings, A Guide to Middle-Earth, Tolkien scholar Colin Durias wrote, In his invented mythology of Middle-Earth, Tolkien intended that his elves were an extended metaphor of a key aspect of human nature. This, quote, elven quality in human life was a central preoccupation of Tolkien's. Elves, like dwarves, hobbits, and the like, partially represent human beings. In Tolkien's mythology, <clears throat> excuse me, in Tolkien's mythology, elves represent what is high and noble in humans. In particular, they represent the arts in their highest form, work done in the image of God and his created world. So, <clears throat> I believe that this, quote, elven quality exists in every living person and yearns for expression through gifts of creativity, creativity, nobility, and service to others. So this is a little over four years now that this elf has been on the air, had been privileged to have a show here at KUCI. <clears throat> we are the radio station that broadcasts from the University of California in Irvine, and we stream live on the internet at KUCI.org. We are a community of volunteers who are passionate about bringing you great music and public affairs programming. And you can check out our website at KUCI.org or our public affairs website at KUCITalk.org for more information about our programming and our public affairs programming. 
And I'm very excited because this year <clears throat> I have a co-host, a hobbit. What more wonderful <laughs> could that be? And I want to say good morning this morning to Milo Lomesdown. Good morning, Tani. How are you? I am fantastic. Is it a gorgeous, gorgeous Southern California day or not? It is a beautiful California day. Kind of looks, reminds me of the Shire when it's like this bright with long shadows early in the morning and birds singing. I woke up this morning and there was a little bird just chirping away outside my window. And I remembered, oh my gosh, it's Friday. I get to go and spend time with my hobbit friend and our uh Hobbit, Elf, Dwarf, and whatever other friends may be listening in this morning, and we'd like to say hello, Michael um, Vannon, and to not only those who are listening uh, here from Orange County, but also listening on the internet, especially my friends on the OneRing.com, Tolkien Online, one of my favorite communities of Middle Earth lovers. So Milo, here we are. Here we are, and I'd like to say a special hello to my friends that cannot listen live because they're in different time zones around the world, mm -hmm. and I want to say a special hello to those of us that are listening um, to the podcasts yes. uh, after this is live. Actually, I have, uh, through my community of uh, friends, um, when I first came, discovered Middle Earth through the movies, I was hard-pressed to find anyone who was quite, quite as crazy about uh, this wonderful world as I was. But I eventually, uh, after a few months, did find a message board. I'd never been on a message board of people who loved Middle Earth, loved discussing the movies, the books. Uh, we did role-play um, stories, and um, we even role-played um, parties. <laughs> Just, you know, a bunch of a pool party with hobbits and dwarves and um, wizards, and, um, but uh, many of those friends, and I'm not exactly sure who all is listening in this morning, but, uh, I have people that listen in from as far away as New Zealand and England and, uh, the East Coast and Canada. I will say a very special hello just in case they are not listening in this morning and listening to podcasts. That's one of the wonderful things about KUCI public affairs programming is that we do have the ability to podcast and our podcasts are available, um, a little bit later on in the day or in the week uh, through our website at KUCITalk.org, and you can also access our podcast through iTunes. And uh, anyway, I w do want to say a very special hello to my friends that listen very often from up in Washington, Vanna and Arwen and Guru, and uh, Scribbles up in Canada, and Rose Morningstar, who I believe listens from Wisconsin, Um Rowan Berry from over in the United Kingdom, and so anyone else who might be listening and listening here, we broadcast to most of Orange County. Yes, and and throughout the world live on the Internet and throughout the world recorded after the fact for people in Tokyo. I know that I have uh, sent the email to people in Japan, colleagues of mine in Japan, as well as South America, Middle East, Asia, so it's amazing. Technology is a wonderful thing. Actually, it, it's interesting that you mentioned Japan. I forgot. Uh, Master Parm, who is a, a poet extraordinaire, uh, listens. His family is over in Japan, and he gets to listen in occasionally. Very different time zone. <laughs> very, very different time zone. <laughs> For us elves and hobbits here in uh, beautiful Middle Earth in Orange County, California. So, Milo, 
um, I wanted to take this show, uh, especially to share a little bit about our journeys to where we are now, that um, thing that Bilbo always warns about, stepping your foot outside your door because you just never know where the road will take you. And here we are uh, at UC Irvine doing a radio show from the perspective of us, Middle Earth creatures living in modern Southern California. Did you ever think that you might be doing such a thing? (laughs) I never dreamed in my wildest dreams that I did not I, that we would be doing this. I did not know that this program existed, quite frankly, because I cannot hear it live where mm. I live. I cannot hear the radio station live. And so I didn't know about what would Arwen do until I first met you as I was an intern at the radio station. And as soon as I met you, I said, oh, my gosh, wouldn't it be wonderful to try to substitute for you if you have uh, a holiday or a trip or a, some appointment that you can't get out of, wouldn't it be wonderful to be a part of this show? And then a miracle happened. Out of the blue, you said, well, Milo, why don't you join me on these <laughs> alternate Friday mornings? And I said, yay. Yes. Well, um, I actually do believe, I believe it's a very elvish concept that uh, when we are on our life's journey and we are living in integrity with ourselves and with others, that the universe is designed by Iluvatar in such a way that it supports us in that journey. And so I'm always excited um, when I ask God and the universe for something, and then it just miraculously shows up. And I had been doing the show for about four years, and... Um, you know, I was passionate about the show, but I just felt like, you know, I, it needs a kick. I would love to have a co-host, but where am I going to find someone, really, who's as interested in Middle Earth as I am, is available during this time and would want to do the show? And I can't even remember exactly how it is that we started talking. Did you, you did, when you came on an intern, did I, did I, in, did I interview on the, you on the show? Did I talk to you a little bit on the air? I think just a little bit, but I was mainly observing you. I wanted to observe the show because I have been interested in Middle Earth for so long. Actually, I do remember now because I think I did talk to you for just a few moments on the air. And I remember, or it may have been a little more than just a few moments, but I remember thinking, oh my gosh, he has such a wonderful voice. (laughs) And I would, and I just thought, I would love to have that voice on my show. And then, we started talking, and I discovered you were actually a fan of Middle Earth. And next thing, you know, I thought, and I've been asking the universe, you know, I really need some something. And and it's sometimes it's just more than one person can do. And I was so excited when I asked you about thinking about the possibility of coming on to co-host the show with me. And I immediately jumped at it and said, yes, 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 yes. And it has been so wonderful because I think in a lot of ways we bring uh, different things to the show. Um, I was not familiar with Middle Earth, actually, before I saw the movies. I had read, I had completely forgotten, but I I had read a long, long time ago, uh, The Hobbit, it didn't make much of an impression on me at the time. I don't know why. I was just a clueless elf back then. Didn't I mean, I thought it was wonderful. I, I, I think I read it about the same time that I read The Last Unicorn, which I was much more enchanted by The Last Unicorn. And um, 
But then when the movies came out, and I actually didn't discover the movies until the Oscars came out, so I didn't discover the movies really until late March, but was the first time I actually sat down and watched the movies, fell in love with Arwen, and the, uh, there she was coming to help um, the, the the small fellowship actually before to become the fellowship, and you know the first time we see her is she sees you know Aragorn is finding some aphelus and a sword point is in his neck, and she says, "What's this? A ranger caught off his guard." And I was just like enchanted by her sense of humor, and then of course her bravery, and in outrunning the Nazgul, and then of course the whole confrontation at the Ford, where she calls up the forces of nature by the authority of her word, and washes the Nazgul down the river. But then she falls onto the bank. She's clasping Frodo to her breast. And she says, what grace is given me, let it pass to him. And I was hooked. <laughs> I was, oh my gosh, who is this? Who is this enchanting being? And it was interesting because once I uh, did, you know, then of course he became interested in the books and I love the books, but I discovered that that, that whole scene is not actually in the books. Uh, that was actually Glorfindel that had come to Frodo's rescue. Yes, yeah. But I, that is one of my, and I, but I actually believe that um, all of the things that, or at least most, or 98% of the things that Peter Jackson did in the movies, especially with regards to the women, could easily have been in the books. Yes, well, um, I mean, if if things had been differently, I. You know, we should give a word picture. But yes, but before we give the word picture, let me say this. As someone who has been reading The Lord of the Rings for 40 years, and every year reading it end to end for 40 years, when I was first sitting there in the theater and saw that it was she and not Glorfindel, my initial reaction was, oh, there goes Peter Jackson screwing the whole thing up. <laughs> but after two seconds, I said, oh my gosh, this is right. And... It's my opinion, although the movies are really great in many regards, that they are, I really like the books a lot because of the use of the English language. Hobbits love language. They love writing down things. They love composing songs. um, But in that one scene, I think that there is, in my mind, no question that Peter Jackson actually made a greater choice than Professor Tolkien. Mm. I think it really resonates throughout the entire saga, and I think that it was just perfect. It was just perfect changing that one change. There are other changes that I don't agree with. The the elimination of Tom Bombadil, I don't agree with. Hopefully, in The Hobbit, we will see Tom Bombadil. um, That would be wonderful. But I I actually do not agree with, with that. But certainly when it comes to Arwen... rescuing Frodo, oh my gosh, it was so great. Well, and um, there's certainly things that I I don't... Well, so I guess saying 98% um, was a a little high because I actually 
love the way the visual representation of the elves and of their of their courage and their wisdom and their beauty. However, I think what Peter Jackson failed to capture about the elves was their mirth, their lightheartedness. I mean, they. you see this, I think, especially in The Hobbit. Um, they were singing in the trees, and they would sing silly songs. They weren't just singing these, you know, um, operatic type of things. Right, they, right. When they first, uh, that first encounter that they, um, the dwarves and um, Bilbo and Gandalf have, they were singing very silly songs. Yes, they were indeed. <laughs> so I think some of the lightheartedness and joy uh, of the of the elves, you know, was, was lost, yeah. But, you know, it. but I loved the movies. And I, too. I love the books. I love the movies. I see them kind of as two completely different art forms and two different kind of representations of a phenomenon. That's exactly right. I mean, as a longtime movie fanatic, I can tell you that they are completely different art forms. Cinema and literature are completely different art forms, although there are people like Umberto Eco who, is tr- who have tried to unify the criticism through semiotics, I believe that they really are, they are different things. Mm-hmm. And in the case of Middle-earth, the beautiful, beautiful visual pro- uh, production values that the Lord of the Rings movies brought, oh, yeah. I was just bowled over when I saw The Fellowship of the Ring. I had been worried because Peter Jackson before then was <laughs> known as a slasher movie director, yeah. low-budget slasher movie director. And I said... Okay, how does this low-budget, wrong answer, slasher movie, "Eh," wrong answer, (laughs) kind of director take over this massive trilogy? Mm -hmm. And But at the conclusion of The Fellowship of the Ring, I said, he was the right choice. And almost every decision he made in the casting, certainly, I mean, my gosh, Hugo Weaving as Elrond, perfect. Liv Tyler... This daughter, this young daughter of a rock and roll star, when I saw that announced, because as a movie fanatic, at that time I was reading Variety and Hollywood Reporter Mm -hmm. and so forth, as always, and starting to look at the Internet a lot for information on film, as I had been for about six years at that point, I said, what? (laughs) Of course, Sir Ian McKellen, there was no question about him as Gandalf. He can do anything, and he did that very perfectly but there was big question marks in my mind about Liv Tyler who huh and it turned out to be so very very perfect Kate Blanchett perfect Hugo Weaving excellent etc John Riss Davies I said how are you going to get this big guy to be a dwarf and through a combination of miraculous set design costume design human doubling CGI that's computer-generated information and images, uh, he was able to achieve it. He, he was Gimli. Yes. He was Gimli the Dwarf. It was yeah. an amazing thing. So, And also um, Treebeard, right? Oh, my gosh. Yes. Treebeard. He, was the, he, he went from being the shortest, you know, among the shortest to among the tallest of the characters and, in, in the books. And Andy Serkis. Andy Serkis as Gollum. Oh, my gosh. The technology and the acting. Perhaps the greatest melding of acting plus technology that I've seen in film uh, was achieved by Andy Serkis in that role. He he really, I mean, in my mind, he deserved a special Oscar 
uh, for that achievement. And it wasn't to be, but should have been. Yes. Well, and um, I know for me, I... I love books that give very descriptive things, and you know, and they these lands um, exist in my mind. Um, and but I think each one of us, as we read a story based on our, you know, you could describe a tree, and each one of us would read the same thing, but we would probably see a very different tree in our minds. Um, I loved, in a sense, kind of having that part of it done for me, and and. In some, sometimes we may see something and say, oh, that wasn't ex- at all the way that I pictured that. But so much of the Lord of the Rings, I just felt like the, um, the way that Peter, the, all of the sets and all of the places that Peter, uh, chose were just so incredible. The Shire was just, Shire you know, with the cotton with things blowing through and also, uh, the Mines of Moria. I, I don't oh think I could gosh. have, actually picture that given it the depth of this deep deep delving because i didn't i didn't have anything really to you know i've never really been into deep 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 caves that are carved into you know uh, carved into like a a city so the mines of moria um and just the way they were able to get that depth was just incredible and of it course was. seeing the belrog you know gandalf and the belrog on that on the bridge at Kazu Doom. Yeah, Kazu Doom. Wow, my gosh, excellent. Really, one of the great things about Peter Jackson is the efforts he went to get the very, very best graphic designers to work with his set designers, people that had done Tolkien calendars and Tolkien illustrations and yes. Tolkien posters. Over the years, he recruited those. I Which recommend to so our audience incredible the extended... The extended version DVDs, because on the extended version DVDs, you see the care and the effort that Peter Jackson brought to selecting the right people for the right job. And Weta Workshop, or oh, Weta Workshop, yes. they, they may pronounce it Weta down there, um, the brilliant work they did with the armor and the creatures, the orcs, the, the orc work they did was just brilliant. But certainly, the bridge at Casa Doom and the Mines of Moria, I believe, and I've been reading it, you know, forever, I believe that they did maybe even a little bit better job of depicting what that must have been like in the movies. It was yes. just a brilliant piece of combination of set design with acting, with CGI, computer-generated yes. images. And amazingly, I actually got to meet uh, Peter, oh, his name escapes me, at one of the Northwest Tolkien Society events. I got to play uh, Hobbit trivia with him late into the evening. I don't know what I was thinking at the time, that I didn't have him sign my Arwen's, Arwen's sword, but um, he did a workshop there, and it was lovely to meet him. In real life, he does... Um, uh, reenactments of jousting. <laughs> so, uh, what what better hobby for someone who just you know who made uh, was overseeing the making of all of the weaponry and such in Middle Earth? But a uh, fascinating man, very dear, and uh, but it was very interesting to learn some of the things that I think we just don't really think about was the fact that many of these props and swords had to be made in multiple sizes. 
depending on, you know, who was wielding them and where they were in relation to each other. So, you know, Aragorn's sword had to be made in multiple sizes and uh, just just fascinating. And the care with which they um, they made these things. They weren't just they weren't just ornamental. They really were forged and they really were (laughs) armor. Yes. Yes. So let's play a little song. Sounds good. In fact, because we elves and we hobbits love music. And uh, I thought um, in honor of our time with you here this morning, Milo, that uh, we would play a song from Fellowship, the musical parody of The Fellowship of the Ring. This is the original cast recording. Now, this is not actually around right now. I think actually they've gotten permission to do this from time to time. Um, Of course, when it first came out, I think they didn't realize that they had to have permission (laughs) to have a play with all of the cast and characters from uh, Middle-earth, and so they went through some negotiations with the Tolkien estate. However, before that happened, I was very fortunate to get... To get to see that play up in uh, Hollywood and to get to... Oh, my gosh. You saw it live? Oh, yes. I'm green with envy. It is so hilarious. It is absolutely... And these were right here. These were the people I got to see. It was absolutely hilarious. And so there is a um, song on here called It's a Hobbit Thing. Um, Actually, first, let's let's play a little... um, This is, you know, one of the things I loved from the movies is the pro... um, the prologue, is that what it's called? The thing at the beginning where Galadriel is, you know, Yama Prestarain, Hamathanen, Hamathanahai. The world is changed. And she tells that, gives us that whole backstory that reaches all, actually all the way back into Silmarillion. Yeah. Um, and so this is the um, Fellowship's version of Galadriel Explains It All. <clears throat> this is from the Fellowship, the musical parody of the Fellowship of the Ring. Galadriel explains it all. You are listening to KUCI in Irvine. The world is changing. Comes a musical! <laughs> Isn't that... <laughs> that was absolutely... I, I, I hope you will get to see this. I will keep my ears and oh my eyes gosh. open because it does come around oh every gosh. once in a while. So we're going to play, uh, that was Galadriel Explains It All. And here we're going to hear a, um, it's called It's a Hobbit Thing. These, this is music from the Fellowship, the musical parody of the Fellowship of the Ring. And that was music from Fellowship, the musical parody of the Fellowship of the Ring, the original cast recording, It's a Hobbit Thing. And, Milo, before we get back in, since they talked about some of their favorite Hobbit things, I think we should play just one song from the Prancing Pony Players, don't you think? Oh, I love the Prancing Pony, and the Prancing Pony Players are precious. And so they have a song, which is, um, we all love that song, These Are a Few of My Favorite Things. Mm-hmm, Prancing, mm-hmm, yes, Prancing mm-hmm, Pony ha- players mm-hmm, have their version. Mm-hmm, and so, here we are. My Favorite Things, Middle Earth Style. And that was music from the Prancing Pony players. And I got to see them live as well 
at uh, they they were at uh, two thousand six. Um, what's that bit? Comic Con. Uh, Comic Con down it, in San Diego. Actually, no, maybe it wasn't Comic Con. It was one World Con, I guess, because oh, that, that year that year mm-hmm. that year they were in um, Anaheim. Right. And uh, yeah, that was funny. That was very fun. Uh, actually, I have a bunch of pictures from. They had a costuming contest that was just incredible. Anyway. Prancing Pony Players and singing the Lord of the Rings version of My Favorite Things. So let's get back. Uh, In case you are just tuning in, this is KUCI in Irvine, and this is What Would Arwen Do? On every other Friday morning with myself, Tani Tenuviel, and my co-host, Milo Lomesdown. So, Milo, my hobbit friend, let's talk a little bit about your journey as a hobbit. The road goes ever on. Yes. Um, I'd like to ask, though, just, uh, you know, when I, you know, people say, well, Tony, what makes you think you're an elf? I know it will sound very um, odd, perhaps, to some people, but when I fell in love with, um, I fell in love with the elves, and when I bought the Silmarillion, I went down, I'm oh, here's a whole history of the elves, and I began to read the history, the Silmarillion, I felt like I was reading the history of my own people. I mean, there was something deep in in me that just connected with these beings. Of all the other beings, you know, I, I liked hobbits and I liked dwarves and I loved wizards and I loved the, the um, Valar, but I really felt a special connection with the elves. I knew that in my heart I was an elf. <clears throat> How is it that, what is it that makes you a hobbit? Well, that's a good question, Tani. When I first read The Lord of the Rings nearly 40 years ago, Mm. no, pardon me, exactly 40 years ago, it would be 40 years ago um, last February, Mm. I first completed The Lord of the Rings in February of 1969, which gives you a hint as to how old this (laughs) Hobbit is. Certainly, I felt a special affinity for the Hobbits. There are, there are, Many, many things. If you look at the Lord of the Rings, for instance, you have um, um, Ho, 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 to the bottle I go, to heal my heart and drown my woe. Rain may fall and wind may blow, and many miles be still to go, but under a tall tree I will lie and let the clouds go sailing by. I felt a special affinity with the happy-go-lucky nature of the hobbits, the closeness to the earth. I am not of the water or of the air. I don't like flying. I don't like boats. I like the earth. I like staying on terra firma. I like mushrooms and taters. And when I read of Sam Gamgee, I said, well, that is me all over. He is exactly my kind of guy. In other words, Mm -hmm. not heroic, just wanting to be quiet, do my thing. Uh, Physically, of course... As you are an elf, I am a hobbit. You are very thin. I am, shall we say, chubby. <laughs> you are tall. I am sort of shorter than average. Um, you have the brightness and lightness of an elf in your eyes. I am sort of of the earth, getting my hands dirty and and doing gardening kinds of things. So physically, we resemble the archetypes. But it was mainly... The love of food, five or six meals a day <laughs> uh-huh. when we can get them, although they tend to be very small meals, they, they tend to be good meals, and uh, the love of good drink when we can get it, 
and especially the relationship to the earth and the relationship of common sense, working common sense, and not putting your nose in other people's business, Mm -hmm. which, of course, happens differently for Bilbo in The Hobbit, (laughs) where he gets involved in a whole bunch of stuff that he never wanted to get involved with. Because hobbits are rather reluctant. In fact, um, it talks about in in The Hobbit that um, to be known as someone who chased after, after adventures was much, much looked down upon by other hobbits. That's right. In Inside Information, that wonderful chapter in The Hobbit where Thorin Oakenshield says, okay, Bilbo, this is the reason we brought you, to go into this dark tunnel and steal the, the gold thing. And And Bilbo says to himself, now you're in for it at last, Bilbo Baggins. You went and put your foot right in that night at the party, and now you have got to pull it out and pay for it. Dear me, what a fool I was and am, said the least Tookish part of him. Mm-hmm. Because the Tooks, of course, were brave. Yes. I have absolutely no use for dragon-guarded treasures, and the whole lot could stay here forever. If only I could wake up and find this beastly tunnel was my own front hall at home. <laughs> And that's how I feel when I have adventures sometimes that I wish I didn't have to have when Mr. Policeman pulls me over for speeding, when a nephew or a niece asks me to fix their computer for them. Uh, I just want to stay at home reading Lord of the Rings or Silmarillion or the Letters of Tolkien or The Hobbit, A Tolkien Compass. I just want to be quiet and left alone. (laughs) And yet... When there is an adventure, mm-hmm. such as this radio program with you, Tani, there's a certain tookish part of me that gets excited. Yes. Well, luckily for us, we don't have to travel far to have this adventure. We can have it right here in the Shire. Absolutely. <laughs> I know for me, when I began to read about the elves, one of the things that caught me was their love of starlight and moonlight. And it talks about in the creation of the sun and the moon and um, in the, the the history part of the creation of the world, you know, the elves awoke in uh, starlight. There was not even the moon was not even created at that time, nor the sun spent many thousands and thousands of years uh, in the light of the stars. So they loved the twilight, and of course they had they had fire and such uh, for for brighter lights the, uh, in the light of the two trees and the the pillars. But um, n- not lovers of harsh light. <laughs> and although they welcomed the sun because it was the thing that pressed Morgoth back, you know, back down, he was dismayed by this bright, bright sun, the gift of the uh, Valar. Um, but I always, I thought, oh, that's how I love going to the beach at night and just being under the stars. I love lying on my bed and being bathed in moonlight. And I thought, I never even heard of anybody else that, I mean, I never even told anybody that I like such things. And here there's a whole race of, of beings who love starlight and moonlight and that the moon cherishes their memory. So that was one of the things that I knew. I knew in my heart that I was an elf because the sun is wonderful, but it's a bit harsh. <laughs> we elves much prefer the softer lights. And of we the hobbits evening. love the sun because it is bright. It causes the green things to grow. Mm. And here in Southern California, as in the Shire, we have lots and lots of green things that grow with the sun. We love the brightness of the sun, the warmth of the sun, the uh, 
the tanning of the sun, if mm-hmm. I can say so, and just the warmth and the brightness, the beautiful yellow disc. Yes. Uh, we, we, we like it. And, and, and we elves do too. And it's part of the, it's part of the changes of the world that is, that are wonderful. Um, let's see. What else? My gosh, where does our wonderful time always seem to go? Um, I would like to ask you just, you know, because you, do you have a preference between the movies and the books as far as which, do you like one a little better or the other a little better? Or what, what's your perspective on that? Because I know I, there are some people, especially in my community of friends uh, over on, especially on Tolkien Online, um, some people are just, there's a whole forum of people that are just crazy about the movies and they like the books okay, but they're just crazy. And then there's a whole forum of people that just love the books. They are, a lot of them are the purists, so they're always knocking the movies because they wanted everything to be pure as it was in the books because they're lovers of the books. Where do you fall in there? Well, or, I, or somewhere in between. I'm kind of, I'm, I'm a lover of both. I like to play in both forums. <laughs> I'm a lover of both because literature and cinema are very different. I love the books because as a fan of language, Tolkien was brilliant at using mm. his languages, many different languages, the Elvish language as well as the dwarf languages there. So the richness of language and the brilliance of the prose that Tolkien brings Every sentence is a gem. Every paragraph is a jewel. Every chapter is a masterpiece, basically, of construction and division. That is how it's devised. So um, I really, really love the books. I think they are a great world, a great, great work of literature, and I believe that it is right that they were voted. I mean, basically, this book, The Lord of the Rings, which in Tolkien's mind was a work, was voted as the number one book of the 20th century. Mm -hmm. I believe it really is. The films I like tremendously for a different reason. As a longtime movie fan, and I got into cinema about the same time I did Tolkien, Mm. but I've been more intense, I would say, with cinema as I've gone to the Cannes Film Festival with Critics' Credentials and Mm. the New York Film Festival a dozen times and Telluride 15 times and all these great festivals, Montreal, Toronto, yada, yada, yada. I'm uh, a a founding juror of the Cleveland International Film Festival in Ohio, for instance. Mm, I did not know that about you. I think the films are really, really good. They perhaps are not the brilliant films that you could think of, for instance, uh, Ingmar Bergman's trilogy, Through a Glass Darkly, Winter Light, and The Silence is perhaps a greater cinematic trilogy, interrelated and yet separate works. The trilogy of The Lord of the Rings are really fabulous, though, because they are sensuous, overwhelmingly beautiful music from Howard Mm -hmm. Shore, who, again, I was surprised that, you know, a bigger composer wasn't chosen by Jackson, and yet Howard Shore stepped up to the plate. We have the Shire music, which is brilliant, the Uh, Elvish music, which is great. The set design, the costume design, the great inter- interaction between the special effects and the human beings, yes. the use of models instead of all CGI. Mm-hmm. Peter Jackson did not fall into the mistake, which I believe uh, has been in the recent Star Wars films by, by George Lucas, using too much CGI 
Peter Jackson struck a very good balance using some C- CGI, but also using a tremendous amount of models. Mm-hmm. And so just for the sheer beauty, the visual beauty, the great acting, they are they are great films. So I would say, in this regard, I'm like Tani. I like <laughs> them both, probably not equally. I think I would say the books, just so much reward reading over and over again. Every time I read them, every year I find some new thematic element, some new turn of phrase that I hadn't noticed before, some excellent use of the English language, mm-hmm. some excellence in the way he devised the Elvish language. Yes. So, uh, again, for the appreciation of the language elements, there is probably no better book than A Tolkien Compass. A Tolkien Compass is primarily, it's edited by Jared Lobdell. It's primarily a collection of essays on the nature of The Lord of the Rings, the psychological journey of Bilbo Baggins by Dorothy Matthews, or the interlaced structure of The Lord of the Rings by Richard West. However, the important thing about this book is chapter 12, Guide to the Names in The Lord of the Rings by J.R.R. Tolkien, mm-hmm. where Tolkien lays down the rules for translators yes. and gives many, many insights into exactly what these names are supposed to mean. So, for instance, when you look at Bag End, the local name for Bilbo's house and meant to be associated by hobbits with the end of a bag or pudding bag, that mm. is, pudding bag means cul-de-sac. Translate by sense. The same element in the language of translation should appear both in Baggins and in Bag End. So he gives comments on place names as well as human names, and it's that language element which I think really makes Lord of the Rings so superb. I mean, oh, certainly yes. the the structure is great, the characterization is great, um, everything is great. But the Lord of the Rings movies, I mean, they have had power. If I may yes. say so, Tani, you have a, a great story to tell, which is that after the Academy Awards, you started seeing them after the first Academy Awards and really looking at them, and it actually changed your life. Oh, yes. And, it's, it and, is, and continues to transform my life on many levels. And that shows the power of cinema. There are many, many people who were influenced by Star Wars in 1977 and influenced many young people to go into science and engineering. And so the Lord of the Rings movies have had a dramatic effect on people, not only casually in their entertainment and having world cons and World of Warcraft, as well as Tolkien conventions and the upcoming, for instance, stage play, Mm -hmm. The Hobbit by Théâtre Saint-Fille from... uh, Canada, but also in the real lives. And actually, yes. you have you have said that it has profoundly affected your approach to life and has improved your life. Absolutely. Well, because I think that that the one of the things that I love about books, and gosh, our time is just about up, is that in them, what I discovered were the archetypes. You know, I. Um, Tolkien, the the elves are archetypal for what is best and noblest in human beings, and and so they embody. You know, at the time I was um, in a religious organization, I, I was a Christian, but there was all kinds of things going on, and 
you know, people saying, you know, we're right, they're wrong, we're right, they're wrong. And I thought, you know, I can't figure out how to be a good Christian. Lord, save us from your followers. Yes. And But I thought, but maybe I could be a good elf. Because I feel like the elves embody what would be the best about being a Christian. And and I thought, and I just started an experiment. I said, what if I lived my life as an elf? Would it be better? Would it be worse? Would it be changed at all? And, um, and 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 for you listening in Radioland, this was a real experiment, a real life experiment. Oh, yes, experiment. It, the experiment goes on. It's been over seven years now. Transformed my life in, in many levels. It was very simple things. The very first thing I learned from the elves, and this was from the movies, was elves do not whine. You don't see Legolas whining. You hear a little bit from Gimli sometimes and some of the hops, but elves do not whine. So whenever I find myself whining, no whining. <laughs> it transformed the way I ate. Uh, it transformed uh, just on so many levels. But our time is up. That will be perhaps a conversation for another day. It's unbelievable. Time <laughs> flies when you're having fun. It does. We, uh, I think we'll have to have a, a, a program, too, just where we can bring in some. There are so many wonderful books and resources that we should bring in some of our favorite books and share some things from them. So. That will, though, wrap it up for us. Milo, thank you so much for being here. Of course, i like to remind everyone to please enjoy your day wherever you are, whatever, wherever you are on your path. Give and receive love freely. I will change my one little thing about giving, giving big hugs and kisses. Don't necessarily have to kiss on the mouth. <laughs> Um, because it's that time of the year when colds and things are being spread around. But definitely a big hug and a kiss on the cheek. There's not a person on this planet that whose day would not be enriched by having a nice hug and a kiss on the cheek, even if they resist a little. Uh, sometimes we resist that thing that we need the most. Amen. Well, thank you, my love, for being here. And thank you, everyone who has been listening in. I will be back next week with Phenomenal Woman. And in two weeks, we'll be back with uh, another... What would Arwen do? And, and what would Milo do? And more news of the Hobbit movies. Yes, news of the Hobbit movies. And we'll talk a bit about uh, the Hobbit um, musical that's coming up at the Barclay Theater yes. in just two weeks. So until then, um, I guess we'll just have to say, Namaria, Ellen Salalumin Amentielvo, a star shines on the hour of our meeting. Until in two weeks we meet again. Thank you, Tani. You're very welcome. And with that, let's go out with a little music from the Prancing Pony Players, and this will hear A Hobbit Life. This is KUCI in Irvine, the best radio station in the history of Middle Earth. Mm -hmm.